Isn't that a marvelous story? To God be the glory. Jesus really does change lives, doesn't he? And that's what Christmas honestly is all about. It's really easy to forget the reason for the season in the middle of the commercialism, materialism, Santa Claus, and all the fun stuff, but the reality is 2,000 years ago, the sinless Son of God became like the sons of men so that sons of men could become like him, fully forgiven sons of God. And that's what the celebration of Christmas is about. Christmas, the celebration of the incarnation that God himself came, born of a virgin, that he became a man to be our sacrificial lamb, holiness with human hands. And we've seen this story in Luke 15 recently this month as we've been doing this series, Who Needs Christmas? And I'm convinced Luke 15 may be the greatest Christmas passage in the Bible that doesn't include the shepherds. There's no nativity, no baby in a manger. There are no wise men there, but the reason for the season is all there. As Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now the reality is some people don't think they need Christmas. I mean, honestly, some people you meet really, really need Christmas. Hey, I'm one of those people that every time I think I'm done shopping, I realize there's one more. One more. So this past Thursday afternoon, I'm in the Christmas chaos at Walmart. And it was at Walmart that I almost lost my Christianity. Seriously. I mean, it's crowded, it is chaotic, pandemonium in the parking lot, I'm pulling out. And uh, this guy almost, I mean, T-bones me. I mean, he almost hits me. And I'm like, it's his fault, not my fault. But, but what does he do? Instead of going, hey, I'm sorry. No, he, he waves at me with one finger. <laughs> and so what do I do? I do the natural thing. I wave back with all five. <laughs> Rolled down my window, Merry Christmas. <laughs> he needed a Merry Christmas, obviously, didn't he? Hey, the reality is we all need Christmas, and the, the truth is some of us don't understand just how much we need Christmas. You see, God wants us to understand that regardless if we're far, far from God, maybe like Dustin was, maybe like Natasha was just five or six years ago, listen, there are some among us, you came here today, and you're far from God, and you know you're far from God, and you wonder, am I really worthy of God? Like, I miss God, but I'm not sure God really misses me. And there's others here today, quite frankly, that you don't know that you're far from God because you came into the house of God and you dressed in your Sunday best and you got your new Christmas dress and you look good outwardly, but the reality is you don't understand how far from God you are inwardly, where the heart is, what matters most is where we are spiritually. And that was Jesus' audience on this morning. In Luke 15, many years ago, as he began to preach this message to illustrate the heart of God is to seek and to redeem that which was lost. Now, in Luke 15, we've been studying. It says this in verse chapter one. Chapter 15, verse one. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, that's the context of what's happening in this message that Jesus is about to preach. And we've been really studying a sermon that Jesus preached many years ago. And there's two people in that audience this day. There's the sinners and the tax collectors. I mean, these are the people, quite frankly, that everybody knew, man, they're out there. They are so far from God. They're living like the devil. I mean, it's, you know, where some of us have been even recently, meaning, you know, I know I'm far from God. I've sinned so many times that I don't know if I can ever really come back to God. But then there's another group there. It was the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, they were the religious people. 
And they were the people that didn't understand that they too were far from God, even though they lived in the house of God. They thought that by going to the house of God that they understood a new God, and they no more understood a new God than those that were far from God. And what Jesus is teaching here is that we all need Christmas, not the materialism, not the commercialism, not necessarily Santa Claus, but we all need Christmas, the real reason for Christmas, the celebration of the incarnation that God himself became a man to be our sacrificial lamb, that 2,000 years ago, the sinless son of God took our sin, our stain, our blame, he took all of our shame, but three days later, he rose again, and because of that today, we can be redeemed to God, restored fully to him you see that's why we need Christmas and that's why Jesus came and there's two kinds of people in this audience today the same two kinds of people in Jesus's audience way back then some of us here honestly we're so far from God and for whatever reason we ended up in the house of God maybe to appease a family member maybe a friend invited you today and you're not sure why you came and you maybe think yeah, I'm so far from God I've heard people say well I can't go to church if I went to church you know I mean a lightning bolt would hit the building and I just want you to know a lightning bolt's not going to hit the building okay but there's others, quite frankly, that you know we, we've got our religion and we, we got our righteous things that we do. And man, I gave to City Union Mission for Christmas and I'm going to serve in a soup kitchen. And we got our list of things that we do. And we don't understand that like the Pharisees, you can be righteous and religious and still have not experienced true redemption. Jesus didn't come to give us more religion. He came to give us something called redemption. And to illustrate that story, he begins telling us about a father with two sons. Now, that's the famous parable that Jesus taught. Most of us think of the parable of the prodigal son, but the reality is there were two prodigal sons this father had, two lost sons, one that stayed in the father's house and one that left the father's house. You see, the Pharisees were in the father's house, but they did not know the father's heart, and they were just as lost as this younger son that's going to leave the father's house. He begins telling us this story. He says this, a certain man had two sons. Now, the man here, obviously, is God the father and these two sons picture you and I in some capacity and the younger of them said to his father father give me the portion of goods that falls to me so he divided them his livelihood and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living understand culturally historically Jesus was preaching to a Jewish audience so we need to step back in Jesus place and time and understand what his Jewish audience was hearing. I mean, they could not fathom or imagine what Jesus was about to tell them. Here was a son that shamed his father. Uh, in Jewish culture, the younger son would have gotten a third of the father's inheritance. The older son would have gotten two-thirds of the father's inheritance. This son comes to the father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. And understand something. These two sons would have gotten the father's inheritance. But to get the father's inheritance, the father would have to be dead. It was unthinkable that a son would ask for the father's inheritance while the father still lived. In essence, this younger son was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I don't really love you. I just love what you've got to give me. So dad, give it to me now since you won't die because honestly, you're already dead to me. And in some way, that's what we've done spiritually many times over when we live independently of God, when we tell God we don't really need him. God, don't call me, I'll call you. 
In essence, what we've said to God the Father is, I can live my own way, I can do what I want to do. Now, I want to go to heaven, but listen, don't bother me while I'm here. And that's exactly the attitude of this son. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, Phil, honestly, I've lived far from God. I mean, I go to church occasionally, and I try to do some nice things and do some good things too. But honestly, I've lived rather independently of God, and I want you to know that I seem to be doing pretty well. I mean, I got a promotion this year, and I got a bigger paycheck, and I got this awesome Christmas bonus, and I went on this amazing vacation. Honestly, I'm doing pretty well. But you know what Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable? Listen, he's trying to teach us that there's a universal rule for everybody. Nobody can escape it. It's true of everybody from every generation, and it's this, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. You see, this same word that you see in chapter 15 for lost son is the same word often translated for dead. A lost son was a dead son. Understand what Jesus' Jewish audience was thinking on this day. As the son shamed the father in this honor-shamed society, it would have been culturally acceptable, probable, that what would have happened is that the father would have perfectly in his own right cast this young man out. He would have ostracized him from the family. In essence, he would have shamed him publicly. They might have even had a symbolic funeral for this young son, literally symbolically saying, this son is now dead. He's not a part of my family. He's no longer in my family because it was an honor-shame society. But what does this father do? Instead, he gives him his money. He gives him his inheritance. And what does he do with it? He wasted his possessions with prodigal living. This word prodigal, you've heard the word prodigal. I'm a prodigal son or I have a prodigal daughter. What does that prodigal word mean? Prodigal simply means wasteful. He wasted his living. He wasted his life. Do you understand that life lived apart from God is a wasted life? You see, if you're not living for the things that last forever, living for those things that really, really matter, you will waste your life on things that don't matter, on things that don't last forever. And that's what this young man does. He has wasted his life. He is wasting his livelihood on things that don't last and things that don't matter. And here's what Jesus is trying to teach us today. Whether you're a Pharisee and a religious person and you come to the house of God dressed in your Sunday best and your new Christmas dress, or maybe you're somebody, quite frankly, that's still hung over from life last night. Now don't point at anybody, okay? I'm just saying, maybe, hypothetically. It doesn't matter because in the end, we all are desperate for redemption. Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, Jesus is trying to alleviate us of what I call the Santa Claus theology. All right, what is the Santa Claus theology? Now, we have some kids in the service, and I know they know the Santa Claus theology, right? It goes something like this. He's making a list, checking it twice. There you go. That's the Santa Claus theology. You see, we have this mentality that God has a list, and he's checking it twice. He's got the naughty list, he's got the nice list. And if I do enough nice things, I'm on the nice list. And if I don't keep doing those bad things, I won't be on the naughty list. Here's what Jesus is teaching. We're all on the naughty list. We all made the cut. See, some of us are, you know, do a few nice things, 
But the nice things don't overcome the sinful things. And so in the end, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. What that means is God can't let even one sin into heaven. You see, the reality is one sin would make heaven a place of corruption. Heaven is a place of perfection. That means every single one of us are desperate for redemption. What Jesus came to bring was salvation, reconciliation, to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. Here's this man now living in a far country. He's far, far from the Father, like many of us today. It says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And this is where sin will always leave you. Listen, life lived apart from God will eventually leave you in a place of famine. Eventually, not not necessarily immediately, but eventually. Galatians 6 and verse 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. And he that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Sin will always bring ruin. Why does God hate sin so desperately? Because he loves you so passionately. And the wage of sin is always death. You see, a lost son was a dead son. And in the mind of the father, this son is now dead because he's lost. He's far, far from the family. He's far from the father. He's left his father's house. He's gone with his father's livelihood and he squandered it and he's wasted it. And now there's a famine in the land and that eventually is where sin always brings us. Why do we live in a world full of corruption? Why do we live in a world full of pollution? Why do we live in a world full of tears and trials and pain and death? Because the wage of sin is death. The sin of men sent all of God's creation into a state of rebellion. And that's why often the world we live in is full of famine, not just physically, but spiritually. And he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Now understand, in Jesus' Jewish audience, this would have been absolutely repulsive. Remember, the Jews considered swine an unclean animal. They would have nothing to do with pigs. They were repulsed by pigs. They were unclean to the Jew. Now, Jesus is telling them a story using these images purposely. He wants to repulse them with this imagery of the swine. Now, I don't want to ruin your spiral cut Christmas ham that you're going to enjoy tomorrow. I'm not trying to ruin this for you. And by the way, everything's better with bacon. Don't you agree? I mean, bacon makes everything better. I'm just saying. But the Jews would have been repulsed by this. The imagery here of a Jewish man who considered swine unclean, now he's feeding the hogs, literally. He is slopping the hogs. You see, sin will always leave you eventually in a pig pen, in a famine, hungry spiritually, in poverty, bankrupt for eternity. And that's what Jesus is teaching this morning. They can probably even now begin to smell the stench of pigs. I mean, they're just repulsed by this concept. Now, I know we don't have a lot of farm boys and farm girls here, but... You know, one of the things I did growing up, I've shared with this, you know, before, my kind of my home away from home was going down to my granddad's farm. One of the things my granddad did was raise hogs. He raised pigs. And uh, I, I don't know that you want to think about this necessarily when you're having that Christmas ham, but hogs are, well, they're stinky, aren't they? They're filthy. Uh, and I remember going out and feeding the hogs with my granddad, and he'd call the hogs, and he knew how to talk hog. He talked their language, and he'd call the hogs, and they'd come running. And I remember one day I actually asked my grandpa, Grandpa, what language do pigs speak? 
I said, pig Latin. <laughs> Apparently. Have you ever been driving maybe on a midsummer's night through North Missouri, Illinois, Iowa somewhere and got your windows down and out of nowhere? What? Wow. I mean, you can smell pigs from miles and miles away, can't you? I mean, think about the imagery now that Jesus is using with his hearers. He's trying to paint a picture they could never fathom, never imagine. There is no way this young man who's given his life to a complete waste, he has squandered everything he has been given. He has abandoned his father's house. He's brought shame on the family with this shameful living. There's no way the father would ever receive him back. But look at what happens in the story. It says, but when he came to himself, and friends, listen, there has to be a moment in all of our lives where we come to ourselves, where we come to our senses, as it was with the Gleasons five or six years ago where they, they shared so openly and honestly where there was a moment that they came to their senses like this, this cast cannot be a way of life forever. There has to be a moment of reckoning where I realize I need God. I desperately need him. I can't keep pretending. I can't keep faking my way through this. And all of a sudden he comes to himself and he said, how many of my father's Hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see, this young man thinks there's no way my father can receive me back as a son, but maybe I can earn my way back into the family as a hired servant. Like maybe I can earn my way back into the father's good graces. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach. You cannot earn your way to God. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way to the love of God. You cannot earn your way to the favor of God. Listen very carefully. Heaven is a place of perfection, which is why you cannot earn your salvation and your redemption. Because you couldn't get to heaven, heaven came down to you, and his name was Jesus. And that's what Christmas is all about. That's why everyone needs Christmas, because you couldn't get to him. He came down to you. Jesus is a name that means Savior. He had another name called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus means Savior. You see, Jesus was God with us who came to save us. And this is the celebration of the incarnation, the one the prophets of the Old Testament said would one day come, the anointed one. He finally did come. He is God's son fully man yet fully God for one reason to redeem the fallen sons of men and women so that we can become redeemed children of God and you can't earn your way you can't buy your way you see this is simply something that has to be received this son thought that if he did the right list and did the right things maybe the father will accept me back You know what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, over and over again, God calls salvation, redemption, a gift. A gift is not something you can earn. A gift is not something you can buy. If you have to buy it or earn it, it would not be a gift. You see, heaven is not a reward for keeping the rules. Heaven is a place of redemption that can only be received. 
not built on a list of things, that's religion. It's built on something called redemption and they're not the same thing. You see, being a Christian is not built on what you do for God, it's built on what God has already done for you. You know, I heard this week, I could not believe this, all right, I heard this on the news recently, just this week, that there will be a billion dollars of gift cards purchased this Christmas that will go unredeemed. That's what I said, whoa, really? I'll take them. A billion dollars of gift cards will be purchased that will never be used, that'll never be redeemed. Do you understand that's exactly what so many people do even at Christmas when millions and millions of people all over the world celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God? Jesus offers this gift to everybody but so many people leave it there unredeemed. Listen, Jesus came for one reason, to ransom us and purchase us and pardon us and redeem us. He offers this gift to everybody, but it's up to you to receive it personally. And it's not something you do by getting more religion or I need to find a different denomination or I got my church affiliation. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what it means to be a Christian. A child of God is something far different because it's not something you earn, it's something by faith you simply receive. Look what happens here. It says, and he arose and came to the Father, and when he was still a great way off, his Father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You know why the Father ran here? Because in this honor-shame society, historically, what happened is that if he had not got to the Son first, that village would have seen him coming, and they would have shamed him all the way back. They would have shamed him for shaming his Father. They would have shamed him for shaming his family and they would have jeered at him and mocked him. It's possible they would have even stoned him, but the father sees him. A picture of God the father. You take one step toward God. He's going to come running toward you and he runs to the son and he puts a robe on him that was a robe of royalty. You see this father was a man of esteem. He was wealthy and he put on him the family ring, the signet ring, that sign of authority. He was telling everybody, I receive him back as my son not as a servant, but as a son. He is a fully redeemed member of my family. And that's what Jesus did for you. And that is what God the Father offers you. He falls on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to make merry. Listen, heaven has a party every single time a son or daughter is lost and gets found. The one that was perished and was dead, but now is alive. Now try to feel what God feels. I hope you try to feel what the Father feels. And I could not have understood this till I became a father, not fully. Years ago, I'm sitting in my office. Krista calls me. I, I answer the phone, and she can't even talk. She's crying. She's sobbing. I'd never seen her like this trying to ask her what's wrong. Something is obviously really, really wrong. Something awful has happened. She can't even talk. That's how, 
That's how distraught she is. So my mind immediately goes to the worst case scenario. I have three little kids at the time. In my mind's eye, I picture Krista's in a wreck. She's on the side of the road and one of our children have died. I mean, in those seconds when my life kind of hangs in the balance, I don't know what's gonna happen. My mind goes to the worst case scenario. Something like that has happened. She's obviously upset for a reason. I've lost one of my children. I don't know who it is. It's Jake. He's lost. My son is dead. It's my daughter, McKay. She's lost. She's dead. I don't know which one, but one of them obviously has died. And in those moments, guess what? I was not thinking about all the wrong things Jake had done and all the things he'd done to Eric. Me. I wasn't thinking about all the wrong things my daughter had done and all the reasons I had to be irritated with her. All I wanted at that moment was my daughter back. All I wanted was my son back. So you can imagine how relieved I was to find out all she'd done is permanently lost her wedding ring. No, that's okay. Trust me, it was good. $3,000 in the bottom of the landfill somewhere. And I didn't care. You know why? Because I got back my son. I got back my daughter. And in my mind's eye, one of them was gone. You see, this is the day for the lost to get found, for the prodigals to come home.
Would you bow with me just for a moment right here, right now? Never hid bowed, every eye closed. These closing moments, sweet friends, could be the most important moments of your life. The quietness of this hour, just you and God alone. I'm gonna ask you a question. Do you know for sure of your destiny eternally? Do you know absolutely your destination is heaven? There's even a shadow of doubt in your heart about that question. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where you forever answer that question. And I'm gonna pray a simple prayer of faith and right where you sit, you can pray this with me. God will hear your prayer. He'll forgive your sin. It's what Jesus called being born again. And like in our story, you take one step toward God, God will come running towards you. Pray this with me. Just quietly, God will hear your prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that I cannot get to heaven apart from you, but I believe you died for my sin, that you rose again, that you were fully God, though fully man. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Give me this thing called redemption. I want to be a new creation. Thank you for receiving me into your family. Now help me to live for you until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give him the glory? Praise him. To God be the glory. Listen, guys, if you prayed that with me, we have a gift we want to give you from us to you this Christmas. We have a Bible we want to give you, as well as a book we call Next Steps, Where to Go From Here. There will be people right here at this platform at the end of the service to give you that Bible and that little book, or you can go to the Next Steps desk on the way out. Be sure you get that as you leave as a gift for simply praying that with me and saying, I want to come back to the Father. Let's stand together as the redeemed sons and daughters and sing to our King.
Give the King glory, would you? The resurrected Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's worthy as the resurrected Son. Hey guys, we love you so much. We want to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Have a really happy Christmas Eve. God bless.